Welcome in to other people's shoes. As you know, I'm your host, Neil Matthews. Really excited that you are here today. You've decided to hit play. We're really excited to welcome you into season 15. Hard to believe we are here. Been a long journey to get here. But let me tell you about what this season is going to involve. It's going to involve knowing and answering this question. You're only what? We're going to dig deep into people's stories this season and dig deep into the why of this question. You're only this. Maybe somewhere along the way, somebody has shared with you, you're only ever going to be this. Well, I'm here to tell you right now that I have some amazing guests coming up. They're going to push on that. They're going to shove on that. They're really going to ask you and ponder, is that all you're ever going to be? Or were you created for so much more? Join me, will you, as we dive into season 15. Without further ado, Lucas, take it away. Welcome in to other people's shoes. As you know, I'm your host, Neil Matthews. Thank you so much for joining me today. Chosen. You've been chosen, by the way. You've been chosen to hit play today. And I'm really excited that you're going to hang out with us, play in our sandbox. That's typically what I like to say, because I don't know why as a kid, I really didn't love the sandbox. I actually, I don't know why I ever used that metaphor or that analogy. The idea of sand on my hand, sand on my feet. More importantly, sand on my shoes. Not a fun thing for me. I typically will use that sandbox analogy. Join me in the sandbox, I've often said, even on this show. What does all this have to do with our guest today? I'll tell you what it has to do with it. I think there is a slow-moving background sound in a lot of the places that I go to and a lot of circles I run in that people still don't want to talk about this issue. People still shame it. People still hide from it. People still run in the dark from it. No, I'm not talking about the boogeyman or freddy cougar no i'm talking about something else and we'll get to that momentarily welcome in to season 15 it's hard to believe on the back half of our year in january we'll be celebrating five years here at the show and let me tell you we got a doozy for you leading off in january but before we get to january neil you're only in earth wind and fire cue them now september so help me welcome in my guest from the great mitten my new friend sam sam how are you today neil great to be here with you great to step in or share my shoes today quite the monologue. Everyone always is a little enamored with that. They always ask me, do I write them? And I tell them, no, it literally is spontaneous <laughs> as it happens. Is that good or bad, Sam? Help me with that. It sounded great. So Sam, let's get into you and what you're all about. I love to lead off every show with this question. Sam, what size shoes do you wear? <laughs> I wear a size 10. All right. So that's going to be a little tough for me because I wear like a 10 and a half, 11. All right. Now here's my favorite question too that follows that. Is there a style or brand that you like more than another? I love Brooks Ghosts. I like to run. They're nice, easy on my older body that they keep me going nice and smoothly. Yes. Not too hard on this old body. Well, now I'm going to have to switch socks today and I'm going to I'm gonna have to put on my Brooks in honor of you today. So I recently, 
within the last year actually was anti Brooks. We talked about some anti stuff kind of in the in the green room somewhat. And I'll tell you, I bought my first pair of Ghosts Brooks. 15. I think they're 15. So ironically, we have season 15 now, and now I have Brooks iteration of the Ghosts <laughs> number 15. So tell me about that. It's just a nice ride. I've got three pair and I just rotate them as I'm going. And it's like you said, it's a nice ride. It just absorbs little and it's maybe a little like life. We need a little help, little support all along the way. Those those shoes, those kinds of shoes have helped me run a few marathons. Uh, some years ago, I thought I'd never be able to do this. I can't even run two blocks, let alone a 5K or a 10K or something like that. And with some support from friends, I started running. It was a run, walk, run, walk. And then you just keep going. And that's a lot like life, right? We have to get out there, step out, maybe walk for a little bit, run for a little bit, switch out back and forth. And sooner or later, we realize, oh man, look what's accomplished. Look what's going on now. I too have a running journey. I ran in high school, but I enjoyed it. It was a way to get out of the house. That's really what it was. And then as I grew up as an adult, I realized I wanted to get back into running. My wife, she was working out. She's like, come work out with me. I did one workout with her, one. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to go run. And she said, I, I don't think that's a good idea. And what turned into one run turned into multiple runs, turned into half marathons, two of them. <laughs> And over 55Ks, 10K is a little high for me. I've never done a marathon. One day, I do love running and I, I miss it. And the show kind of has taken the spot of running. So I want to get back to running again because that's when I feel like I can be the most creative because I get along with the creator. In this new season, which kind of spurs from a men's advance camp. Now, let me help with the men's advance part. Our church doesn't say men retreat. Always seems a little silly to me when I try to describe this event for folks. Our church, for whatever reason, think men advance. And so our men's quote unquote retreat is actually called men's advance, or as I call it, basketball camp or man camp. All these things I've, nice. I've, I've given these names to. I say basketball camp because I probably play more basketball in a 72 hour period than I do my whole life. And somehow I magically think every year I'm going to be transformed into Michael Jordan just because I throw on his shoes and somehow magically I become Michael Jordan when I'm at man camp. But sadly, that doesn't happen. In that, how that relates to you in this season is I'm in this study one day and the speaker's name's Evan and he's retelling the story of David and Goliath. So I'm a church kid and an Awana kid, youth group kid. And so my ears immediately like tune out. Like I'm like, okay, Evan, I've heard this story at least a thousand times. I can remember the felt board. I can remember all these things. If you're a church kid, you know the story of David and Goliath. Even if you're not, you kind of know the story of David and Goliath. As I'm sitting there listening, this guy, Evan, says, hey, so, you know, David's going to fight, da 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 I'm like, yeah, okay. And he goes, you know, Saul says to him, you know, David, you're only a boy, da 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 And I was like, wait a second. Kind of woke me up out of this trance I was in. And he said, you're only a boy. You can't go fight Goliath. And I'm like, wait a second, that's that's never been in there. You're only? And I went home and I started hearing this word and this phrasing for a long time. You're only. You're only ever going to be this. You're only ever going to do that. You're only that. You're only this. You're only that. And I'm like, there's something to this. So I wrote it down and I really started kind of praying over it and kind of listening some more and then asking some friends of mine. I said, hey, have you ever felt like you're only da da da? And they're like, oh man, yeah, Neil. Yeah, that's, that's me. I thought, hmm, if that's you, I wonder if how many other people have been that you're only ever going to be. Mm -hmm. And so Sam, I ask you this question as we jump into this. Has anyone ever along the way said to Sam, hey, Sam, you're only ever going to be fill in that blank for us? Mm -hmm. 
I don't know how many others have said it, but I've sure felt it, right? And you sometimes withdraw a little bit, push back a little bit. Should I really be stepping forward into that? And recently I was hearing Dallas Jenkins. He's the director of The Chosen. And he was feeling a little bit, oh, how do I accomplish all this? What? How is it possible that I could do this amazing thing I want to accomplish? He felt in the spirit, it's not my job to feed the 5,000. Just bring loaves and fish. So I, I've got a friend who does woodworking. And I said, listen, you got to make me a plaque. I need it in front of me on my wall that says your job isn't to feed the 5,000. You're only bringing loaves and fish. And that's where I wrote The Healing Church, what churches get wrong about pornography and how to fix it. Man, I'd really love for everyone to really have a better understanding, especially those in leadership throughout the church, to really get a better understanding of why the struggle, that really spoke to me a lot, that it was my job, the Holy Spirit's urging to step forward, as we were talking about running earlier, that marathon began with the first step. Not the first step on running day, but the first step in rehearsing and play, you know, practicing and building up stamina. When I was first stepping into writing this book, where am I going to go with this, Lord? I know that this you're asking me to do this. And I just began taking one step after the other. And when it was done, I, there, there was a lot of burden on me. Or like, hey, I need to make sure I get this out. In fact, this is probably 86th or 87th interview that I've done so far. When Dallas Jenkins said that, I was like, yes, it's not my job to feed the 5,000. That's God's job. My job is to step into it, to I say that, hey, I'm only here to bring the loaves and fish. And so your only can be just as positive as all the negative connotations that can come to. It can, instead of be limiting, it can be empowering. Well, I love that too, because you think of the little boy, you're only supposed to bring, can be a positive to say, your only responsibility is to bring the loaves and fish. What a powerful responsibility that was. Because again, if the little boy isn't faithful, going back to a little boy analogy, there's no analogy. He was the one that brought him. He was the one the disciples found. If David had to step in. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. God had prepared him for that. He had fought the, the lion and, and protected his flock. Everyone else says, David, you're only. But David says... Yes, that's true. <laughs> but God is not only. First off, I, I'm excited to get my hands on the book, and, I, and I'll tell you why. So I grew up in the church, as I mentioned. I discovered pornography in middle school. I carried it through high school, addicted, not addicted, bouncing back and forth, finding sobriety, finding not. And then I remember in mid-high school being caught again by a very good mentor of mine, father figure. Got it squared away, got it handled again, beat the dragon down, as I call it, the dragon. Ted Roberts actually calls it that. So I kind of, in honor of Ted Roberts from Pure Desires, I, I keep calling it the dragon just to help Ted's legacy move forward. So I beat it down again, got married, thought I would solve everything like every guy I've ever talked to, didn't, got caught again by my wife. At this time, I'm now in ministry. I'm employed by a church. We end up losing, I say we, my wife, not necessarily a part of it, but I ended up losing my ministry job because of it as an associate pastor. My daughter then at this point is now growing. I was at the church. But the key to this is that I want to key in on for you. So I get discovered like on a Thursday, I confess Thursday, Friday, there's a meeting, Saturday, there's a dismissal decision, Sunday comes as it does so often on the calendar. My church tells me Saturday night as they're telling me that I'm no longer employed there, that I'm not to come to church on Sunday, the following day. And when I read your title of it, The Healing Church... I immediately said to myself, I got to find this guy. I got to talk to him. Immediately enamored with the title. I've had a lot of years to think about this. This happened in 2008, 
approximately. We're in mm. 2023. So there's been some time. I've restored things with the church leadership at that previous church. I wish your book had maybe been out then. So Sam, I blame you for that. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I still, to this day, carry that scar of hearing from that church leadership, do not come to church tomorrow. How should I have handled that? Be me for a second. Be in my shoes. I know it's tough. They're an 11, so they might flop around a little bit like clown shoes, but be me for a minute. How would you have handled that? Neil, what could you have done? You're not in leadership. The leadership has been unfaithful and recalled to grace. And you, at that moment, feel such shame. It's probably more shame that you could possibly bear on your own. And instead of helping you lift that shame, they said, here, have another truckload. The opposite of what Christ wants for his church body. And by the way, your story is not the first that I've heard of that. There was a board member, and he went to his fellow church board members, and he said, listen, I want you to know that I've been struggling with pornography, and I want your help. I want to be free of this. I don't want this in my life anymore. And not only did they remove him from the board, they asked him also, don't come back to church anymore. Grace is not about being nice. It's about being Christ-like. And one of the most amazing things that we can do in the church is practice James 5.16, to confess our sins to one another, pray for one another, that we may be healed. In today's church, so often, there's a spectrum of grace. And on one side of the spectrum is, hey, uh, everything is safe. Come on in. Oh, you've got problems? We all have problems. Don't even worry about saying what they are necessarily. We just know we all have problems and you're never really called to change and you're never really supported in creating meaningful change. We're just all struggling and that's how we'll be. On the other side of that spectrum is a religiosity that says Christians can't have problems because if you love God, you would never struggle with any stronghold in your life whatsoever. And if you do have struggles, well, they're the they're the minor ones, right? Oh, I'm not praying enough, or maybe I don't get my scripture sometimes enough that this this week, right? Where we need to be is in the center, where it's okay to, even as Christians, to bring your strongholds to the body of Christ, where we can practice James 5.16, it's safe to come and talk about whatever issue that you're struggling with, even if it's been a long-term hidden thing, probably been around since childhood. We love you so much that we're not going to leave you alone. And this safe place is also equipped with a safe process where you go on a journey toward real and deep discipleship. No, that's one of the beautiful things you you talked to me about pure desire and being through one of their courses. That is an example of deep discipleship. It says, come as you are. We know you're struggling and we know that God's grace is sufficient. And it's not my job to tell you you're only this because you're only that you don't belong in this body. You should be shamed. Instead, we could say, God loves you right where you are, and I love you too, and I am not going to leave your side. We are going to take a journey. So because left our own devices, we'll go back to whatever it is that we're struggling with, whether it's pornography or food or alcohol or drugs or anger and pride and self-centeredness, all these kinds of things. And when we go on a deep discipleship, there's that one issue that seemed like such a major issue. If I, God, if I could just get rid of this one thing, won't I just have it made? Like if I just get rid of pornography out of my life, won't it, won't now I live in this, ah, everything else will be solved. And what happens with that kind of safe process and deep discipleship is the closets begin to open and the dark corners become lit up. And we realize that the one thing that we thought was such a hindering problem was just 
a symptom of some deeper wounds, some deeper impact on our life, and that we can live not only in freedom from that one concerning issue, but we can live in greater wholeness in Christ. And so that's what the whole journey is about. And every journey starts with a step. You need to step out. You need someone you can step toward. The opposite of addiction and compulsive behaviors and and different strongholds in our life is community. The opposite of addiction is community. Are we a safe person? Are we willing to walk with someone else in safety? Shame knows you're powerful when you're honest. Shame knows you're powerful when you're honest because shame wants to keep you isolated separated from others. I call it self-hatred at my expense. Shame, self-hatred at my expense, because it confines you. It says, you know, if someone knew about the thing that I'm struggling with today, they wouldn't love me very much. Maybe they wouldn't respect me or care for me. What was so sad in your case, Neil, is that church didn't live up to Christ's grace. And instead of saying, hey, wow, you've been carrying all this shame for so long and you've wanted to be free and you want to be out, you're your desire is to have this out of your life, but you've, you've had this struggle. Oh man, Neil, I'm sorry that you've been going through that. Listen, do you want to be well? Christ says to the man at the well. I think that scene, speaking back to the chosen, that scene made me weep. And I blame Dallas Jenkins for that because I'm not a weeper. I don't like weeping. I blame him for that. So if you know him, send him that message, please, for me. <laughs> so Sam, thank you. Thank you for yeah. sharing that. Thank you for that encouragement. Like I talked about in the in our opening statement about the sandbox. I truly do. That is a true statement. I don't like getting sand on me, in me, anywhere around me. I don't think most folks do. Some people do. Some people like sand on my toes. Yeah, let's get it. No, no, thank you. No, not never. Not any day of the week. Sam, help me. It sounds like you have had some firsthand experience with this. You're not speaking hypothetically. You're not speaking metaphorically. What's Sam's journey to write this book? How do you have firsthand account of this? Well, on a number of ways. Let me start with I I wrote the book after 16 years at Covenant Eyes and seeing so many Christians struggling within the church, having had so many parents saying, hey, I know that my child being five, six, seven, eight years old has been exposed to pornography. How do I begin helping them? I can't, my church isn't helping me do handle this well. I'm a man or I'm a woman. And I've been struggling for years with pornography. And I, you know, when I finally found freedom, I looked back and found my church didn't help me very much. And yet on the other side, I hear a lot of pastors and ministry leaders saying, man, Sam, what should I be doing next? How can I proceed forward to really create healing for these people or create life change for these people that are struggling? And I know that they're struggling because I look at the statistics and I can look out at the audience and go, two thirds of men in the church, a third of women in the church are saying they have an ongoing struggle. In fact, 37% of all men of all ages are saying they're watching pornography multiple times a week. 36% of men, 18 to 30, say they're watching it daily, Christian men. And 14% of women are watching it multiple times a week. So let me get this right. I'm looking out at my audience. I'm preaching to them. I want to care for them. I want to shepherd them. They don't come to me and tell me about what's going on in their life. So I know the statistics. They don't come to me. So what is, what's going on? How can I create better change? When we begin talking about pornography at a, a men's Bible study or something like that, everybody clams up and gets quiet. One thing that we need to do is, again, create a healing church. 
I wrote the book because we need some knowledge. And knowledge precedes understanding and understanding precedes change. How do people get stuck? Why do they often stay stuck without help? And how can the church really lean into that well? And what are the benefits of that? And what's incredible is we found that as I looked at studies from both Christian colleges and surveys, as well as secular university studies from the University of Oklahoma, etc., they found the direct correlation between pornography use and prayer life, scripture reading, church attendance, feelings of closeness to God. In fact, they found that direct correlation from the University of Oklahoma found this, that there was a direct correlation between how often someone viewed pornography and whether they would serve on a committee or church board over the next six years. But as I was writing the book and through my 16 years of experience at Covenant Eyes, I also found that a number of people would serve more in the church. The shame of their sin was so impactful on their heart, and they just wanted to do better. It was like flipping a coin of perfectionism and shame. On one side of the coin, I just fell. I'm angry at myself. I feel this self-hatred at my expense, this shame. I have promised myself, I promised God, I promised others, I'll never go back here again. And here I am, I failed again. After a period of that self-loathing or even binging, etc., the coin gets flipped and it's going to, I'm going to try harder. I'm going to get back and to do, I'm going to serve my church more. I'm going to do more. I'm going to serve my family more. Perfectionism can only last so long because you've never really dealt with the roots of the problem in the first place. And then the fall happens again. And so the coin just keeps flipping. What I found was I was interviewing more than 70 pastors, ministry leaders, counselors, and others who were doing this work well. They found the opposite of all those struggles were happening. When people were going through a safe place and a safe process, they were excited to give more to their church. Their church attendance increased. Their closeness to God increased. Their prayer life increased. Their scripture reading increased. We just want to say, hey, if you love God, all that will just happen and you won't have to worry about uh, being in, an, in this discipleship or anything else. You just love God and it bleeds off of me. As we Hey, we gather in church and it because of that, all this other stuff gets fixed. We're missing the deep discipleship. We're missing the opportunity to create a safe place and a safe process. Here's the other cool thing that pastors were telling me. Sam, because we do this work. I don't do more work. I do less. So pastors were saying those who've been through a safe process come out on the other side. And every process I talk about in, in the book always leads to giving back. Having had a spiritual awakening, you must give away what you've received. So those pastors were saying, now I've got a whole crew of folks who say, pastor, I'll do that. No, I can volunteer for that. Oh, you need him to, you need a, a, an accountability partner, a discipleship person for that person. Yeah, I'll do that. Oh, you need someone to serve on Sunday morning to do this or that, or on Wednesday night or Friday night, whatever it is, you've got a team of people who are excited about their journey with Christ because the church, instead of shaming them, showed them grace and discipled them toward a closer relationship with Christ. Help them deal with those deep roots that are the symptom, that created the symptom whatever they're struggling with, including pornography. That's fantastic. And that's the way it should be. And I agree with you a hundred percent. So Sam, for you, when you think back over the creating process of the book, the hardest chapter to write was what? I think every chapter was hard. <laughs> I wrote this and some days it felt like I was writing with drops of blood. I cared about the issue so much because I do have my own story as well. My story is not unique. I found this story to be true over and over again. You just told my story a little bit earlier when you told when you told your story. 
So there are three common factors that you hear over and over again, and that is early exposure to pornography as a child, the ongoing use and repetition, especially in adolescence, and number three, some trauma that often happened early in life but can happen elsewhere. So I was 10 years old when I remember coming out of our Florida home and my brother, who's 10 years older than me, was standing against this car with his friend, and they were looking at a magazine sideways. And I know I'm dating myself, Maxine, right here, but that's okay. They were looking at a magazine sideways, but that just didn't make any sense. How? can you read sideways? And I asked them what they were looking at. And they turned it around as all children are naturally curious about what, what bodies look like, adult bodies look like, what bodies look like without clothes on. You know, they're just curious. Usually that curiosity ends when children are sort of check each other out, etc. And they see children's bodies. But when children see adult bodies, strangeness that they, they're not prepared for. And unfortunately, in today's environment, they go from not knowing anything about sex to hardcore demeaning video that is so overwhelming and shocking. Let's look at that more, that early exposure. You know, I just told you a story. How did I, I can't remember anything else about that day. And I have found over 16 years that you can ask adult about the first time that they saw pornography as if they saw it as a child, and they can tell you a complete story, even though they can't remember anything about that day. That's because when sexual cues are picked up, dopamine begins narrowing the focus, it draws attention, focuses your attention. It's also somewhat shocking and surprising. So norepinephrine, which is associated with fight or flight, kicks in as well. And it helps burn that memory into the brain. In God's design, that's beautiful. In God's design for marriage, that's amazing. Because dopamine can focus your attention to the point of tunnel vision and the rest of the world disappears. We remember what should be our wedding night, right? It's supposed to be beautiful and prepared. The same is true for that child seeing pornography for the first time. Pornography is not sex. It's a hijacking of what God created. Another problem for the child seeing pornography is that they have more mirror neurons than adults. It helps them learn faster. And mirror neurons makes it seem as when you see something, it feels like you're doing it. So it, it helps that learning process go much faster. A few things that I outline in the book that helps you understand why pornography can be so impactful on a child. We often worry that, well, if my child's been exposed and now, now they're a mess, so that's not true. What we need to have is ongoing conversations to help equip. And I talk about that in the book too, so that they can process that. We don't shame etc. Often it remains hidden. Exposure remains hidden because we haven't created a safe environment in our homes. And so the pornography use begins to continue. So I had a friend and his dad had pornography that was falling out of his closet. I could take anything I wanted and I did. If you can imagine a closet with typical closet with a shelf on top, and stacks of pornography on that top shelf that are just kind of leaning over like a waterfall and there's a pile of it on the floor. It was easy access. Today, we walk around with the world's largest library of pornography ever created in the history of mankind and we put it in our kids' pockets and our teens' pockets. And we know that teens are among, among the most prolific users of pornography. And so that ongoing use and repetition helps burn those neural pathways in the brain that begin craving it more and more. Pornography is not sex. It's a hijacking of what God created. Number three, even though I grew up in a Christian home, my father was a violent, controlling, even in his religiosity, felt that that was okay. And so when I felt fear and frustration and anger, I could run to pornography as an escape. And that escapism is what is often the full, takes it full circle, where we begin to learn to not even realizing that this is going on, but we learn to regulate our moods, anesthetize our emotions. Whenever we feel 
anger or frustration or whatever else is going on, boredom expands, all these triggers happen, pornography becomes the escape route. So I don't have to deal with this feeling. I don't have to deal with this emotion. And so until we deal with some of those things, we're, we're going to find ourselves stuck. So as we look at an adult, we suddenly telling an adult, hey, you shouldn't look at that. You shouldn't watch that. God's not for that. Don't do that. They've already got an 800-pound gorilla on their back. They want to be free. They've promised, again, they promised themselves and God and others that they'd never go back again. You probably did that as well, Neil, just like me. I remember as a teen throwing away all my pornography only to gather new sources. What is the, I'm probably the most blessed man you'll meet because I was, by adulthood, I've carried pornography with me from to middle school, to high school, to college, into my marriage. I've become somewhat agnostic. My wife has come to me. She's began attending a small church in our community, the same church we attend today. This is more than 20-something years ago. She says, would you please go with me to this marriage class? I think we could use some help. And I was like, yes, I, I know we need some help. So I agreed to go. And these people were peculiar. They were a little weird. And the facilitators of the class would close the classroom door, look at the class with a big smile and say, this is a safe place. And what is said here stays here. And you know, not a single person in that room ever said anything about the horrible things they said to their spouse or the things they thought and the things they did in their marriage. They would simply say, thank you for sharing that. They were on a journey toward making their marriage better. But in that kind of environment, that is where I learned that pornography could be compulsive and addictive. And that was a great relief for me because that meant from a secular point of view, Evolution didn't make me this way. From a spiritual point of view, God didn't make me this way, and I didn't have to stay with this way. Walking with guys like you, Neil, I get to take a journey toward freedom. That is so fantastic to me. I think there are guys that want to break free. I think they're so ashamed mm -hmm. and so stuck going back to David, being that little boy, seeing that Goliath of pornography and thinking, I don't have the armor to fight him. I can't fit in the armor. I'm still this little boy. There's a guy that comes along later in David's life named Samuel, <laughs> who yes. has a calling, right. who has an anointing from God to say, wait a second, where is this it? Is this the lineup? No, where's the little boy that is out tending the sheep, learning to be a shepherd? Where's he at? I want him. Mm -hmm. Go get go get him. Now, I think it's a little ironic that your name is Sam, which could be short for Samuel. It is, short, who knows? It is short for Samuel. I had a feeling. All right. <laughs> So now you're kind of in a sense like Samuel of old, calling the men to the lineup, reminding them that it's not the outward appearance that God cares about. It's the inward that God cares about. And you're calling them out of the field of isolation where they're trying their best to, to shepherd, but they're away from the home. They're doing everything mentally that they can be to escape from the field. And they're, listen, they're great providers. They're great protectors, but they're not in the home. They're out in the field rather than in the home. That's awesome. Neil, there are men and women who are listening to this and they are saying either one of two things. One is, man, I want to be free from this. I know that I'm grieving God. I know that I am defying what Christ said when he says, when you look on a woman or another with lust, when you're objectifying someone else for your personal gratification, you're committing adultery in your heart. Very definitive thing. We don't want to do that. We want to break free from this. We just don't know if it's possible. Now, for others, they might be, have begun justifying that. They feel that I've got all these emotions. God must have made me this way, or evolution made me this way, or something else made me this way, because I wouldn't be like this. In fact, look at David. Solomon and all the others who failed and Samson, they're, they all struggled. It just must be the way we're made, the way we're wired. 
And that's not true. So God wouldn't give us things to do that we couldn't accomplish. He wouldn't say, oh, you just can't, you can't live with, with my heart. So we need to dig, I think, a little bit deeper in the way that God did design us. And when we have exposed ourselves to pornography thousands and thousands of times, especially in the adolescence, and as a child, we come to it as an adult, often stuck in what we call the porn rut. There's four parts to the porn rut. Number one is sensitization. Having seen so much pornography that when we pick up cues or triggers for their struggles, it's what I call social, emotional, or environmental triggers. So a social and or an emotional trigger might be feelings of past memory that strikes you and makes you feel bad. And probably later on that day, you're escaping to something or maybe something popped up on your screen. And we like to use that as a reason that we viewed pornography or whatever. Something just happened. And often that's deeper than that. But we become very sensitive. That sensitization means simply that we don't have a lot of, of, we're easily turned on toward it. We're going to easily run toward pornography. Number two is triggers. And we talked about that earlier, just a little bit earlier. Social, emotional, environmental triggers. Another one you might think of as halt, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Those are times when you might be easier to fall to pornography. And desensitization, meaning that you visited pornography so many times, this is number three, desensitization, you've seen so much pornography that the old stuff just isn't doing it anymore. And so you keep upping the ante because you've become desensitized to what might have been exciting once upon a time. Maybe someone started out with nudity, but then they just kept going and expanding, expand, expanding. They need more of it more often. And they're chasing that original high. So they have to keep increasing what they're doing. And sometimes it's often said that pornography will take you places that you never thought you'd go, do things you never thought you'd go, see things you never thought you'd see, pay a price you never thought you'd pay, hurt people you never wanted to hurt. That's desensitization in its works. And number four is that compulsiveness. There's a part of you that says, don't do this, don't go there right now. The brain has made the wrong choice so many times that it's nearly impossible, it seems, without support to not go down that road again. All of that hyperfrontality or that, that compulsive nature is backed up by lies that porn has taught you that says, I need this just to feel healthy. I just need to be able to relax. I can't fall asleep. Whatever it is becomes a, a list of reasons why you can never really live without pornography, but it's not true. We can live in wholeness in Christ and all the things that pornography is doing for you doesn't have to exist in your life anymore. You can have wholeness so that you can regulate your emotions. You're like, okay, Sam, I don't, I'm not following you. Help, help, help me along. Okay. So I might say to my friend, Hey, you know, my, my ally, what I call an ally, because an ally has your back. I know we use the term accountability partner a lot and that's accountability has gotten kind of a poisonous. I like to say someone has my six. So right. military background, my dad is a Marine. I have said to guys for years, are you going to get my six? Yeah. And they kind of look at me and I was like, think about it. And they're like, oh, like a clock. Oh, you're back. I got your back. I'm like, yeah, That's you got right. my six. That's right. So, so I, I call an ally. You call it, it got your six. It is, they know what your goals are. They know your secrets. They are, they're rooting for you. They're standing beside you. They are willing to fight with you. So when I go to my ally and I say, hey, I, I've, I acted out with pornography. And they're like, okay, well, what happened? Oh, you know, I had just had a bad day and I, I just came home and did that. Well, well why did you have a bad day? See, a real ally is going to dig a little deeper, go back and a little farther. And it turns out that maybe I've had a, a bad day at work because I got yelled at by my boss because I missed a deadline. And I, when I began thinking of that made me feel small and it reminded me of, of being yelled at by my dad and all those things. And I began crunching deeper and deeper and then began 
fixated on failure and I'm not worthy enough. I'll never get this right or whatever it was, you know, and I'm trying to push all those and crush those emotions. When I get home later, I'm viewing pornography. Well, my ally then can say, okay, how did you feel? <laughs> Often when we do our check-ins, we say things like, what, what are you feeling? What are you thinking? What are you doing? What are you thinking of doing? Guys hate to talk about what they're feeling often. But when we really bear into it, that is very free. And understanding my emotions and be able to state them in the moment. Oh, I'm feeling in my recovery journey, I would find myself, I'm feeling tempted now. Why am I feeling tempted? And that curiosity would allow me to go, oh, you know, I had that conversation earlier and that was very intensive thing. And I didn't feel good about that. Oh, so that's why I'm feeling tempted. Okay, suddenly the temptation fades just because I'm recognizing my emotions in the moment. God, I want to release that to you. I'm going to call my ally right now. We're going to pray about that right now. We're not letting Satan have a foothold in the door. We're going to just close that right now. When we can live in community like that, when we can practice James 5.16, we can practice it even before the sin happens. We can nip it in the bud before it even begins. And that authenticity builds an intimate connection that is contagious and empowering. Within that kind of safe place, people hear you are a person, not a problem, that your identity is found in Christ, not in your sin. That is the wholeness we need to live into as the body of Christ. I love that. And I love the idea of having that community, having that person to go to. And I think that's the struggle that we run into. Well, Sam, help me with this. Where can folks get the book? How can someone get connected with you if they'd like to have you maybe come speak to their small group, whether it be in a virtual event or maybe even an in-person event? Who knows? Tell us about that. Well, first of all, if you visit thehealingchurch.com, thehealingchurch.com, you can download the first chapter for free. You can buy the book anywhere you normally buy books online. So, and if you would, after you read the book, please re leave a review. That's a big deal that helps other ministry leaders and others in the church kind of discover this and, and grow. Please do that if you would. If you'd like me to come and speak at your event or other activity, or if you just need to, to have a conversation to, for your men's ministry group or your organization as a whole, send me an email at support at covenanteyes.com, support at covenanteyes.com. Well, Sam, thanks so much for being here today. I really appreciate what you gave us, what you shared. You mentioned that you're older because you were dating yourself talking about a sideways magazine <laughs> that's okay you you know being older I mean I, I don't know you might have forgotten one place we talked about but that's okay <laughs> it's actually also going to be available at opspodcast.com under books that I love and so it'll be up towards the top of our page there we always put an author's book up there and so we're gonna we're gonna honor you by putting your book up there too so I hope that's okay that's awesome thanks so much you're welcome well Sam before we let you go we got to do some silliness because I feel like we've had some real serious stuff here so some silliness now now you mentioned the University of Oklahoma not a fan of boomer sooner just saying not a fan <laughs> i'm thinking maybe you could become my new disciple there in michigan because if you have any timeouts or a way to maybe add a timeout to anything i'm talking about chris weber by the way back in the day but you could be a university of north carolina fan just during basketball season and then you could go back to your rooting for oklahoma if you wanted or whatever i don't know. wow just sending me a mug you know who, yeah and, and who doesn't one, I appreciate higher education a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we could. We could send you a cup and I don't know. I don't have too many because this one's broken. So oh. that's the best part is it's been broken, but it's been put back together again. So and you're I just asking if I'm going to just become a Tar Heels fan. Yes, basically. Yeah, that's not going to happen. 
Okay. Yeah, you know, I, it's I'm sitting here in Big Ten country. <laughs> I, 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 We're sending you Oregon. What else do you want? Uh, you know, I, I've got neighbors. You know, I've got a friend of mine who lives up the street. And believe it or not, one of our former pastors was from Ohio. And I don't know if you know mm. about the rivalry between Ohio and Michigan, University of Michigan. Never heard of it. Oh, nope, never heard never of that heard one. Of it. It's not the true, it's not the true rivalry. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Of course, of course I have. Come on. Oh Sam. man, it gets serious. And so yes. pastor would always talk about something about Ohio winning the game, right? Yeah. And he would not go to church on Sunday morning if Ohio, if Ohio State beat Michigan. And so no. <laughs> No, I I hear him. I, he he's, just couldn't handle I'm, the, the, I'm, ru- the I'm with in. him. Man, that was tough. You don't know how many church events I've skipped on a Wednesday night because North Carolina and Duke are playing. I'm just saying. We, like, we need a little extra prayer when we, le- when we lose a game yeah. before Sunday morning, right? Well, people don't come around me when North Carolina loses because wow. they know I'm going to be very sad. It's, it is really sad. So we're going to play this silliness that we call senseless. We have some new questions, new seasons. So here we are. I'm going to roll for you because you're still in the mitten and I'm out here in Oregon. By the way, welcome Oregon, the University of Oregon to the Big Ten. So be nice to them. I know this seems weird, but it is a North Carolina logo, which represents our number one. And so what is one place you need to visit? Uh, I need to take a walk through Ireland, I think. Ireland or or Scotland, that whole thing. I just need to, I need to take a long stroll. Well, that is awesome. That is one place I too would like to go. So that's great. We should just maybe book a flight. We can, we can bring our wives. It'd be a fun time. Got this whole thing set up where under old English law, you had to maintain a walking path. And so you get to walk through fields and you go from one end to the next and they've got it all set up where they transport your luggage for you. And it just seems like a dream. Love to do that. Well, that sounds fun. It's awesome. Well, Sam, again, thanks so much for being here today. We really appreciate Appreciate the time that you gave. Thank you so much for that. Honored to be here, Neil. Thank you so much. Well, guys and gals, kids and campers alike, that's it. That's all. That's our show today. Kicking it off. Welcome to September. Now, listen, I know for some of you, you're you're still like, why are we why are we talking about this? Why are we centering around this? We we spent a couple episodes last season, three, four last season, talking about this, but I think it's so important. I'm gonna continue this conversation forward, and I hope you do likewise. So if there's a guy you know, there's a church leader you know, will you just put this in their earbuds this week? Will you just share with them Sam's adventure? Sam's calling out. Get that sand knocked off of people's hands that they've been carrying around. Will you do that for me as a favor? Small favor. I know. It's a big one though. Let me know. If this is you, if you have some church hurt because of this dragon that bit you, that scorned you, I'd love to I'd love to help you with that, truly. So let me know. OPSpodcast.com is a great place to let me know. There's a connections page there. You can even leave a voicemail there. It's really fun stuff. You can also let us know on the social medias at OPS Podcast Show on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And of course, last but certainly not least, do not forget this. Do not ever forget. Remember, when you walk in other people's shoes, you really do get a different perspective on life. Thank you so much for listening. Truly appreciate it. And by the way, stay tuned till next week when we walk in other people's shoes.